Hello and welcome to Think Like a Game Designer. I'm your host, Justin Gary. In this podcast, I'll be having conversations with brilliant game designers from across the industry with a goal of finding universal principles that anyone can apply in their creative life. You can find episodes and more at thinklikeagamedesigner.com. Today's episode is a special one. It's the first time I've ever brought on a repeat guest, and that repeat guest is one of the most illustrious in the game industry. This is Richard Garfield, and he is back to talk about our mutual project that is launching on Kickstarter right now, September 7th, 2021, called Soulforge Fusion. And it is the world's first hybrid deck game. We've used new technology to digitally algorithmically print half decks that you can combine in ways that have never been done before using some of the best parts of the Soulforge digital trading card game that we made all a decade ago when we first started working on it. So there's a lot of exciting things to unpack here. And the episode is all about the design principles and interesting thinking that goes on. But if you're excited about this project and you want to jump in right away, you can do it right now. If you go to stoneblade.com forward slash soulforge, that's S-T-O-N-E-B-L-A-D-E.com forward slash S-O-L-F-O-R-G-E, then you can go right to our Kickstarter page. You can see all the details. You can back it. We have bonuses for people that back early, lots of cool exclusives. Obviously, it means the world to me and to Richard and to everybody on the team when you can support our projects. You can also play the game for free on Tabletop Simulator and talk about it on our Discord. There's tons of great stuff. Uh, and in this episode, we break down a lot of these principles in a way that's not just interesting for those of you that are excited about Soulforge Fusion like we are, but also talks a lot about the design principles for building these kinds of modular games and algorithmically procedurally generated games and cards and lots of really cool stuff that's at the cutting edge of game technology today. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. I hope you love the conversation as much as I did. I hope you take the time to please check out Soulforge Fusion, uh, whether you back it or not. It means a lot if you share it, if you share this episode, share the information. Uh, it helps me to continue to do what I do and to keep making new and exciting games for you. So without further ado, here is Richard Garfield. Hello and welcome. I am here back with Richard Garfield. Richard, it's great to have you back. Well, it's good to be back. Always fun to talk about games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're you're actually my first uh, repeat guest on uh, the podcast, uh, which is, uh, you know, obviously great to have you as, uh, as the guest, but it's also because we have something pretty exciting to talk about uh, that uh, we have been working on depending on how you count it, for either a decade or at the very least uh, about 18 months uh, of, of, of intense work recently. Yep, yep. Uh, certainly uh, looking forward to chatting about it. So the the big thing, which is uh, Soulforge Fusion, uh, our sequel to uh, Soulforge, the digital trading card game that we, uh, we built back in 2011, 2012, uh, the as we're recording this, we are less than 24 hours away from the Kickstarter launching. So by the time most people are listening to this, the Kickstarter will be live. It's going live at 8 a.m. on uh, September 7th, 8 a.m. Pacific time. So uh, very likely by the time you're hearing this, you can uh, go to kickstarter.com and back us there or stoneblade.com forward slash soulforge. Uh, we'll also take you there. Um, but uh, yeah, I wanted to chat with you because there's so many fascinating things about this project and so many fascinating things about what we have chosen to do with how we've brought it back and and the the evolution of of really the entire trading card game industry frankly and and what has motivated us along the way and i i wanted to unpack that because i've gotten a lot of questions from people and there's so much here that 
you know, I've been trying to like explain in the elevator pitch and the kind of quick line, you know, couple lines to get to, but I really wanted to take a good amount of time with you and, 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 and unpack like all of the details. So let's just, let's start off with just soul forge the OG, right? We, you and I, we met up at, uh, at PAX dev in 2011. Uh, I remember our first conversation there, uh, about this and we were both excited about this idea of making a really a good, uh, digital trading card game because at the time this was you know before magic arena this was before hearthstone there really wasn't uh something like that on the market and we were both pretty excited about making it uh yeah, yeah that's amazing it was before hearthstone it doesn't feel like anything was before hearthstone but yeah that was <laughs> yeah and 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 part of the the something that will become ironic uh, as we go through the story our part of our goal was to build something that would have been very difficult to build in real life that would have been at the time pretty much impossible to do uh, as a physical game. We built Soul Forge with the idea that cards leveled up as you play them. Do what do you remember things about like what kind of that process some because I've I've you know I've got my own recollections but we're talking about a decade ago now so maybe you could talk a little bit about what you remember about that and what got you excited about that mechanic. Well, uh, uh, I should add uh, for context that one of the reasons we were talking was because um, I mean, I knew you from your uh, days as a uh, pro with Magic, but uh, but uh, I caught up with you again because of Ascension, which was a, a design I admired, uh, but, but also uh, had a digital version, which was just so much better than most of the games out there. Any game out there it was just like, it was perfect for it. And, uh, and so that, uh, that was one of the reasons why you seemed like a really good partner to work with uh, on a game which was uh, intended to be just digital. Yeah, and and I, I I remember I've told this story before, but for me it was uh I, I remember I came to one of your talks on at at Pax Dev and uh, I you know I've obviously been an admirer of yours forever. Magic changed my life and your you know design thinking influenced every project I've ever worked on. And then, you know, at the end of the talk, someone asked, what game were you playing the, you know, and really enjoying right now? And you said Ascension. And I literally like jumped up and went woohoo in the back of the room <laughs> at the time. And then we kind of all laughed and then got a chance to talk. So uh yeah, the process of being able to, to work on games with you has been incredible. I've learned so much along the way. And um and yeah, that when we were kind of working through, okay, there's the the challenges of executing something digitally. There's the challenges of building a thing that really feels comprehensible from a, a trading card game. Right? When you're building a digital game, you're, they're not really cards that you're trading and selling, but but we want to represent them as something that people can understand. Because when I tell you that this is a card, a collectible card all these preconceived notions come with it, right? The idea that I can get these things out of a pack, the idea that these things will be shuffled together and randomized, the idea of like what it means, the, you know, the, what, what information is going to be static about a, about a card or, or an object versus another. Like there's this interesting like cognitive heuristic, if you will, that comes with this idea of calling something a, a card, uh, even though it's, it's purely a digital representation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I remember uh, we had some brainstorming sessions on what we could do digitally that we uh, couldn't do uh, physically, and uh, then then deciding what we should do uh, because that's of course a, a really different question. Uh, there, the digital uh, uh, the capabilities you have working digitally are, are really uh, quite large, but 
you don't want to lose the player's uh, understanding of what's going on. That's often, I think, one of the things which uh, separates the uh, the the games which feel like analog games and the games which feel like sort of a simulation online, uh, which are you know often excellent. Uh, both of them can be excellent, but uh, but when you play uh, um, a uh, StarCraft or what have you, it feels very different than playing a uh, uh, Scrabble. Um, and and uh, and and we wanted to uh, use the power that we had, but at the same time not uh, make it so the player lost that tether with really understanding everything. Yeah, yeah, and we 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 I remember we experimented with a few like pretty interesting ideas. You mentioned StarCraft. We talked we we experimented with a few game engines that used concepts like Fog of War, right, where you didn't you know your opponent could be playing things and and you don't necessarily get that information right away, and different ways to reveal that and exploration. Like we 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 went we 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 had explored a lot of that space, um, but what we landed on was this this level up mechanic, which is something I really. I think it really resonated with players at the time and it still resonates today. This idea that, you know, yes, you build the deck of cards, but as you play, you're you're actually building your deck as you play because every card you choose to play at the, you know, has three levels and when you play when you play the card, you get the level 1 function of it right now and then the level 2 function gets added to your discard pile and shuffled into your deck later. And so the the cost of playing cards ends up being really an opportunity cost, right? Because I could play a very strong level one card now, for example, and then it would might level up worse. And so the later versions are weaker than others might be, or vice versa, where I play a weak level one card now with the hope that I have a more powerful card later. And so we we have no traditional casting cost or, you know, it like like other TCGs um, like Magic, but we use this system to create not only a balance, but also this this story arc and this texture for these different cards that end up being expressed in a far deeper way than you could do with just a single card or single version of a card. Yeah, yeah, it uh, it really hit uh, a lot of the notes which uh, which we had set out to hit with uh, a digital card game, which was to, is to say um, the players uh, understood mechanically what was going on. We made that very clear, even if uh, the consequence of the consequences of the, it was were not clear. Um, and uh, it did something which would be awkward uh, to do in real life. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's a great uh, a great point you make. This idea that it's clear to the player what is going on, but the the nuanced effects of it are take a long time to unpack. Right. So the basic rules of Soulforge is like you have a hand of five cards. You can play any two cards out of your hand into one of five lanes if they're a creature, and then the cards you play level up. And so it's very just, okay, pick two out of five, go and see what happens is, is at the surface level, you can enter the game and play that way. But then as you explore deeper now, it's like, okay, well, actually I need to, I want to be building around this, you know, do I want to be playing for a late game? Do I want to be playing for an early game? What are the different, you know, interaction points about where these creatures are going to be played and how they match up against the opponent's creatures and, and kind of all of these layers that, that, that get unpacked, which I think is just really key for, especially any kind of collectible or expandable game where the, 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 this you need to be accessible when somebody's coming in the door you need to be and have that like nice learning curve all the way along the way all the way up to sort of expert level players which you know you need to be 
very conscious of, and this is something you've always hammered home to me in our discussions, and it's something I, I really appreciate that you want to make sure that that gameplay experience is good for people at all tiers, not just people at the very high end or at the very low end. It's got to be a kind of good, smooth curve all the way through. Yeah, that's a, a an easy thing for a lot of uh, uh, designers to lose track of because they play uh, the games with a lot with the same people, and they become experts over time, and then uh, and then sort of lose track of the journey uh, and some fun things they had uh, along the way might, you know, might disappear. Uh, uh, it's an experience I uh, have uh, reasonably often where I play a game that, that I think looks like it was really fun to develop, but what's left is only fun if I become an expert. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, keeping an eye on that is, uh, has, has always been, uh, is, 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 is a good, good practice, which uh, yeah. we have done. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great tip for, for, especially for aspiring designers out there, because I know my very first designs and games I worked on back in the versus system, uh, trading card game days, I absolutely fell into this trap and I came at it from a, as a pro magic player, like I knew what top tier play should look like and what, you know and so but all i could think about was balancing for that and so the game became very flat and very like uninspiring for people moving their way through the curve and you know i learned that lesson uh eventually but uh but hopefully listeners can learn a little uh quick more quickly than <laughs> than i had to um okay so so we've gone and we covered you know soulforge we you know we ran uh, a, a kickstarter for uh, back in 2012, we launched the game. It lasted for several years. We launched a bunch of expansions, but eventually, you know, as a digital game, we couldn't continue to keep it up uh, and it went down. And since then, we've been trying to think of ways to bring it back, right? What what does a new version of Soulforge look like that can exist in the modern era? Because this is one of the things that I think drives both of us as designers was right. We always want to kind of push the boundary of like, what's the next thing? Like what, how do we say something as, as designers and, and, and make something that, that contributes to the overall discussion of, of games and, and, and bring something new to the table. And you of course are, you know, probably more influential than anybody else on the planet when it comes to this, by creating the, the entire trading card game uh, genre. Uh, with Magic the Gathering, um, but then also why we did Soulforge was to be able to build trading card games into the digital space in a way that hadn't been done up to that point. But now it, now it's been done very well. As you said, it's hard to imagine a world before Hearthstone. Uh, now with Hearthstone and Magic Arena and, you know, Runeterra, and there's plenty of like good, successful games. You've launched several of them uh, that, um, you know, and, and, and there's a lot that's, that space is well explored, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, what we're talking about with Soulforge now is this exploration of new space, which is what we're calling a hybrid deck game. And some of the origins of that are in the unique deck game category um, that you also originated with Keyforge. Uh, so maybe uh, you want to talk a little bit about that and kind of what how that leads into into what Soulforge Fusion is. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Keyforge came out a, a few years ago, and uh, uh, we called it the first uh, unique deck game, as you said. Although I think uh, I kind of want to call it random deck game now because uh, uh, because of reasons. Um, but uh, in any case, uh, uh, what happens with uh, Keyforge is that uh, players get a coherent deck and they're not allowed to, they don't construct it. And uh, they just play what they've got. And if they like their deck, they play with it more. Otherwise, they might uh, get a different deck. And um, it was 
made because I really think that there's a lot of gameplay that's lost when you start introducing uh, um, deck construction. There's a lot of variety that's lost in the sort of decks which become playable. And uh, I was thinking back to the early days of Magic where we would play these leagues and, uh, and you would get a set of decks and some boosters and that's what you were stuck with for weeks. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And I wanted to get a similar sort of experience where, where you had to make the most of the tools you got, and that was what the game was about, uh, and that everybody's uh, tools were unique, uh, which was how I originally thought of Magic, but the way it's played, often uh, that promise, which a lot of people see at the beginning, is not maintained, because uh, at the beginning everything's unique, but then as they become more and more serious, they end up playing more and more net decks and everybody uh, starts playing a, sort of a more similar tableau of decks. Uh, with a, the Keyforge style approach, uh, you've got the capability of making it so that doesn't happen. Everybody's deck truly is unique. Yeah, and I think uh, for those that want to have a deeper dive into, into Keyforge and some of the logic behind that, um, we talked about that quite a bit actually on our first podcast recording, um, which we'll, we'll link to, um, people can link to from uh, the Think Like Game Designer page, um, because I was fascinated by it. And as part of what I was like digging into was like, okay, well, what would this look like uh, if we wanted to evolve it further, right? So the advantages of the unique deck game or, or random deck game or whatever you want to call it is this, this uh, you know, feeling of playing with a limited subset of options which is part of what makes the the what what's called limited formats in in magic or in tcgs so much fun right the idea that when i get either a league and i have a small set of cards i have to work with or a draft or a sealed deck or something where it's like i'm forced to work with a a smaller subset of fixed things creates more game variety creates more interesting situations forces you to play with and adapt to more of the cards and scenarios than than typically will happen like what 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 naturally tends to happen in a constructed tcg environment is things always coalesce around one or a few different deck archetypes and everybody kind of builds towards those and they get so hyper optimized that that variance and and interesting play space is is severely limited right that's kind of the the, the top line of like what's valuable about it um now there are other challenges that come up from that and things that started to become noticeable as you know from keyforge's experience as, as the kind of leader in the space and uh, you know, one is a how often does your variety become unusable, or what are the acceptable types of variety? Right, if I have a deck that has, for you know, easing a zombie lord and no zombies, yes, that's variety, but it's also just sad variety, right? Like there's certain right. there's certain types of scenarios that yes, it's it's variance, but that's not a good kind of variance. And so uh, I know Keyforge did some things to correct for that, and uh, Soulforge Fusion has taken a lot of steps to correct for that, and. And then there's the other piece of it, which is this this feeling of ownership over your deck, um, this feeling of I made this thing, I have some influence over this thing, uh, which is a challenging thing for the unique decks, right? I just in that world, I don't, I feel like I just bought it, uh, and I can master playing it. Maybe I get some ownership out of playing it particularly well, but it. I know a lot of people that miss that that ability to sort of customize and own things. Uh, and, and so that's been another sort of tension point around what, you know, can you get the best of both worlds? And I'm obviously seeding uh, this one, uh, teeing it up to you. But maybe you want to talk about why, uh, what we, how we tried to solve these problems with, uh, with Soulforge Fusion. Yeah, uh, I should uh, first uh, uh, 
say that that uh, making this game from the start was something I was skeptical about, uh, uh, but uh, Justin kept coming back at me uh, with it, and and after playing it a bit, I, I decided, uh, yeah, he really is onto something, and, and maybe we really could do this. Part of what made it mechanically feasible was the fact that we could print decks which were coherent. Um, as opposed to make it so you had to construct decks along with all their level up cards, which would have been very hard. But um, yeah, that's a great uh, that's a great that's a great point. And just yeah, just to sort of to reemphasize, right? Like why? Because the natural the natural question for people that are were fans of original Soulforge and that were like, why didn't you just print this as it's as a digital trading card game? Just or sorry, as a physical version of the same digital trading card game. And and that reality of it is that it's very difficult in a game with multiple cards. Let level every card is multiple cards to level up. Having to collect and customize and create individual on an individual card level is very cumbersome. Like we did a lot, we did research it for a while, and it just felt like too hard to make it work. Um, and so the this model works particularly well for something like Soulforge Fusion. Yeah, and and, and uh, I mean, and even when you have it running. Uh, just verifying your opponent's deck is legal or your deck is legal is is a real chore um, and uh, uh, so 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 yeah this this was a really uh, nice solution to it but then uh, you took it one step further and added this uh, this this uh, unique hook which is that uh, you've got this little bit of customization introduced by the fact that that uh, rather than having a single random deck you've got a you know, random half deck and you choose what other random half deck you want to mate it with. So you, you have the pre-constructed element, but you also have this little bit of customization, which is of course quite powerful is you get to choose uh, which two partners you want to bring to the, to the table. Yeah, and this one, and, and and again, this is you know just as, as design tips uh, for people, a lot of times really just the concept a that you like plus concept b that you like with your own unique spin on it is a great recipe for designing new games right and so in this world it was the the game smash up was my inspiration behind the you know take any two decks and shuffle them together like that is just a and it was amazing to me playing it how much again variety and ownership i felt playing that game even though i was just taking two pre-built mixed decks and putting them together the difference between zero customization choices and one customization choice from an emotional standpoint is huge and then combining that with this idea of the unique kind of algorithmically generated decks like from keyforge with the soul forge game engine really started to kind of gel together something like wow this is something new and special that hasn't been done before even though again it's just based on the building blocks of what came before and and no matter how original the idea seems right even it it, it very often is that right i know you, you've you've talked about this before in interviews where magic the idea of customizing came from uh, cosmic encounters was a big inspiration and being able to play something that you could play at the you know dungeons and dragons kind of table in between rounds uh you were able to kind of bring things together that then obviously turned into a, a great new category that then became the thing that other people built off of yeah yeah, in fact, uh, uh, it, this this simple twist is is a really uh, strong approach, uh, in, and it's worth noting that uh, a lot of times in design, what you should do is take a back off of the. Or you should take a look at what your innovations are, and ask if they're really uh, pulling their weight. 
because uh, uh, what you don't want is to have a game full of innovation, but the innovations aren't really adding anything to the player. They're just giving them different crap to think about. Um, and <laughs> yes. uh, uh, that that's, um, I, I, I kind of think of that as being about the designer and not about the player. Like, oh, there's all these fancy things I can do. Uh, look, uh, we can we can change all the rules that you're used to and make them all different. But at the end of the day, if all that happens is they learn all these different rules and they end up with a game which is similar, uh, um, then it's not worth it. And so focusing instead on on these small, smaller innovation twists and, and building off stuff uh, and then trying to keep things similar where you're not really getting a lot of value out of it. I find that to be a useful framework to work in. Yeah, I think that's great. And 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 it is it underlines what is again a very counterintuitive but really important point that like innovation for innovation's sake is not valuable. In fact, it can be a negative. That that if you you innovate too much, uh it becomes harder for people to learn and kind of grok what's going on in your game. And that focusing on a few key innovations, um sometimes even just one key innovation can be enough to really um, you know, hook people and then just executing that well and communicating it clearly can, can be enough to make something that's really special. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's actually really, it's been really interesting here, um, as well, because we've, you know, I've, I've wrestled with that a lot and sometimes it's, it's actually even hard to explain, uh, some of what's going on with Soulforge Fusion, um, because we have the, you know, the, every half deck is unique, combine any two half decks to play. Is that's the kind of new innovation here, and that's relatively relatively easy to push across. We have the the level up mechanic, which is not an innovation for Soulforge Fusion, but was an innovation for Soulforge uh, originally. And so, for people who aren't familiar with Soulforge, that's another kind of innovation. It's new to them, right? It's a new in innovation. Yeah. And then we have the process of um, really we kind of took it uh, took the process of digitally creating cards even a step further. Right, because so in in Keyforge, the decks are algorithmically generated, and sometimes some cards can like add add icons or or slight modifiers to other cards. But for the most part, the set of cards is is coherent in each set, uh, and you're just picking from that subset of I think it's like a couple hundred cards that build each of the of the decks. And in Soulforge Fusion, we actually took the idea of fusing cards together uh, and took it to another level where I can now combine kind of the base of a card. So if I have like a Yeti creature and then I can combine a modifier and fuse those things together so I could have an aggressive Yeti or an ice Yeti or a flame Yeti and each of those things would be a different card. Uh, and that is something that is was you know never really been done before as far as I know. And it's allowed us to have you know, over 17,000 possible unique cards in set one alone. Uh, and that's something that you and I talked about a little bit because it's, that sounds really cool and we've used it in marketing and there's a lot of really good things about it, but it also has challenges that come with it, right? Trying to understand a set of that size. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the upsides and downsides of, and how we thought through that approach. Um, Cause we've, we talked about that for quite a while. Uh, yeah, I should, uh, begin with saying that that is certainly something I aimed for in Keyforge, uh, and, and it was something I shot. I, I really wanted to see procedurally generated cards, which is how to think about them, I guess. And, uh, um, and I wasn't really super happy with how they uh, were done in Keyforge until later we came up with some good techniques. But uh, one of the things uh, we, you know, I kept running into was, was, uh, um, this uh, uh, tension between 
wanting players to understand the environment, know the cards that are out there, and wanting to give them this variety on more than just a card to card level. Uh, and and so the concept of giving them um, basically an adjective and a noun, your cybernetic uh, yeti uh, or your uh, your zombie dragon, um, uh, allows players to get a step in that direction where they can begin to understand what to expect from particular adjectives and what to expect from particular nouns. And then, uh, and then they, there is still a, 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 cha- a challenge that, uh, to understanding the environment because it is so much bigger than really any other card game. Uh, um, uh, I think that's true, uh, at least for the first set. And uh, uh, but at the same time, um, there's a, a huge amount of variety, and that tool of being able to understand it on, at least on a uh, adjective noun level uh, helps a lot. Yeah, we we ended up in a space. I think we were doing the math, and it was like more. You know, we have more unique cards available than than like the first twenty years of Magic or you know any other <laughs> any other card game. Um, and, but 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 yeah, you're highlighting. I think what's what's important is that that you want to make it so that people can can wrap their heads around what's going on and variety for variety's sake is not a good thing right not necessarily like there was um there was a game uh i was tangentially involved with but uh only kind of on the sidelines was a uh, chaotic uh which was a kids tcg that had it had random powers on the card so like you would have some uh, one version of a monster would be stronger than another the exact same card you just have to look at it to see what the stats were and it would just be kind of all over the place and it just wasn't you know it just all it was was kind of a driver that got people to collect more if they wanted to get the highest power version of these but the rest of them you just got a worse version of a card or you could never know what a card was going to do by just seeing the name and so it became very difficult for players to understand and, and interact with it whereas what with the way we've done Soulforge fusion you know if you see the name of a card you will you can know exactly what it is um the same name card the the zombie dragon will always be the same zombie dragon but that you could also run into a cybernetic dragon which is going to be different and so even though so that seventeen thousand number really comes from a permutation set of like 200 you know adjectives and nouns that combine together in various ways so it's it's a i think a a a good way that we were able to get the best of both worlds and the other thing that it influences is just like when you think about variety in a digitally printed game like this it's not just about the rarity of the cards but because the cards are pre-built into half decks that's really the proper unit of rarity to think about like the context of the zombie dragon when he's in a deck full of you know other zombies and zombie lords versus when he's in a deck of you know some dragons and some other kind of synergies is very very different and so that's been some that was the biggest eye opener for me i think talking to you when we were you know i've been in in the, in the trading card game space my whole life and developing them both playing whether it's playing on the pro tour or developing them for pro, you know for high level play forever but it just completely changed the equation when i thinking about how do you develop a a hybrid deck game uh where where you know the 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 chunks are kind of predefined in a lot of ways yeah it's a it it, it for people who are entrenched in uh, trading card games, uh, it's it's just it's such a different way to think about the games. They think about uh, a particular card they like and they look for it, uh, and it takes them so long to realize that 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 may you know they may end up with something that's fun when they find it, 
But the fact is that the collectible is, you know, the thing you're, you're, you're playing with is, is a unit, which is this whole deck. And uh, you just can't separate, you know, the context of that card from the rest of the deck. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's really a powerful, it's, it's, it's a powerful frame reshift and, and it re it creates a couple of interesting things. So one, you know, uh, to that we, we have built into our algorithm. I think we, we alluded to this earlier, but we've built in a lot of tools to the algorithm to make sure that each deck comes with a certain amount of synergy already built in that it won't like, you won't get a zombie Lord without zombies in the deck, right? You won't get, yeah something that's going to be sort of this doesn't make any sense this is the, the the bad kind of randomness so we filter that sort of stuff out but we still give quite a range of possible outcomes that you can discover and and soulforge fusion as a hybrid deck game gives you that additional excitement of saying okay cool i've got the dragon you know the zombie dragon i want but now i want to go find and pair it with something else that can work well and because you can customize by choosing the two half decks you want together uh you still have this interesting ability of like saying okay cool if i can find another half deck with this piece then i can make the the combinations that i want coming in and coming together uh so there's really this fun there is that fun you know looking for the right uh you know shoe to fit the glass slipper or whatever yeah no that's a a, a powerful thing to have in your pocket uh i know that uh when we uh when when keyforge was first out i I aired, uh, as I'm sure I mentioned on the last podcast, on the side of Variety, and it took me uh, basically the first release before I realized, oh, you know, I've really got to take a little more responsibility for getting those combos in the deck um, and uh, and make it so that that variety is good variety. And uh, the fact that you that uh, that 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 with uh, Soulforge Fusion, we can um, we can put some of that. Uh, on the players that they can find the deck that gives them that makes their combos work is good. I don't, you know, we don't want to lean on it entirely. We want to make it so that half deck still has a good feeling to it, but the, that they can uh, bring that out with the right choice of half deck is uh, of, of, of a partner deck is uh, is terrific. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm I'm uh, I I really just can't wait to kind of unleash this uh, on the world. Um, obviously, uh, one of the things that's actually been cool is uh, that uh, players can actually play the game right now if they want to for free. And in fact, you know, it's one of the the side effects of the of the pandemic is that it forced us to move all of our testing into tabletop simulator. Um, you know, we couldn't meet up in real life, and so we started playing. Uh, our games in the background uh, on Tabletop Simulator. And uh, this was during our first uh, Ascension Tactics Kickstarter last year. We we were originally planning to market the game you know the way we normally would, go to conventions, uh, do physical demos, like, and then all of that shut down. And so we said, okay, well, maybe we should just make our Tabletop Simulator version available online so people can actually just play exactly the thing we've been playing. And that was such a, a, a breakthrough for us that people could join us in our Discord and give us feedback and play with us and you know play with their friends for free. And so it was kind of a no-brainer uh, to bring that to Tabletop Simulator for, for Soulforge Fusion. Uh, and in fact, it's how you and I, I, don't, I think it wasn't until, uh, what, uh, two months ago that we actually played a game in real life for the first time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was pretty recently. Uh, no, Tabletop Simulator was certainly what uh, um, sold me on the idea. Uh, you had sent me some uh, um, prototype cards earlier, and uh, and uh, wasn't really enough to convince me. I did play around with those with my son, and uh, thought that there was some cool stuff going on. But uh, when we sat down and uh, 
and uh, did a did a, a session on tabletop. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So so for anybody that's you know wants to to see more about the game, you you know you could play it right now for free if you have that program. I think the program's usually twenty dollars or goes on sale for ten uh, a lot. Um, and and then it uh, it's also provided a, a hook for us because a lot of Soulforge players really you know they know they joined the game when it was ori- originally just a purely digital game. This is a game that we really wanted to be physical first using this you know digitally printing technology and being able to do things we hadn't hadn't been done in the physical space but i also we also recognize that building these communities and being able to play together online is important and so not only can you play kind of demo versions of it on tabletop simulator right now but one of the other things that we've done is we've made it so that every deck can be scanned uh every physical deck has a qr code and 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 an alphanumeric code that you can enter into our database and then we will um, export a deck for you that you can play your deck in Tabletop Simulator. Uh, and so we can actually have tournaments. And one of the things that we wanted to do uh, is, you know, have real community and real play, not just in local game stores, which are, of course, important in conventions, which, you know, we're going to be doing all of that stuff. Uh, but so that, you know, you could play even if you don't have a local community and we can all get together and your collection means something, uh, even if you don't have a local uh, group to play with. And I think that's just it's like a really powerful thing that i i know i and i don't know where you came down on this richard but i was so against tabletop simulator two years ago i was like it's too clunky it's not the same it's not you know and 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 i it it wasn't but but for the pandemic really forcing me to get past that mental block and and building this community i never would have gone there so it's been it's been an incredibly powerful tool and been a great way to connect with people yeah uh no i'm similar uh when when tabletop simulator first came out i was excited about it enough that uh, that I bought a few copies and gave them out to friends that I hadn't and family that I hadn't been able to play with for a while. But in the end, uh, it, it it turned out to be more work than it was worth to prototype with or play test with. Uh, but uh, uh, with the pandemic forcing my hand, uh, I got past that hump, and uh, now it's a uh, it's a uh, you know regardless of how things develop uh in plague world uh, uh, uh tabletop simulator will be part of my arsenal yeah and it's and it's one of those things where for you know in a, a very common question i've been getting from original soulforge players is will there ever be another customized app for soulforge and and certainly it's something i want to build um i've i've learned <laughs> a lot over the years it's very expensive to build and maintain uh and so having this as a tool uh that can be kind of this bridge solution of like you can build a physical game play your physical game uh and then have some way to play online uh and then you know hopefully down the road we can build our own custom app again but but for now it's like it's just a it's a great way to connect and a great way to be able to play a game in whatever format you want to play it right that's that's definitely been um, you know, it, it's the other side of the equation with physical games and especially trying to launch a game, um, you know, like this, if you don't have a community to play with, it's, it's, it's like, you might as well not have it, right? Like it's, 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 you need people that can play the game with you. And if it's a solid local community, then that's fantastic. But here, at least you can have an online community. And I've noticed a lot of other, um, publishers that, that have really like, shunned things like tabletops you know they'll shut down you know any mods that they see online they try to shut down the capacity for people to play their game online because well you know in theory they're not paying for it uh which is true um but i found that you know it's it's largely the opposite like if you let a community grow and thrive uh and let them play your game enough people are going to want to support it and and actually buy it that it's worth uh it actually is a, is the best thing you could do for 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 the long-term health of a game that you care about. 
Yeah, uh, certainly. Uh, I, I, I am there. I, I'm, uh, if people are playing uh, the games, I, I think the, the, that, uh, that you're all set. That's going to be great uh, <laughs> uh, because, you know, it's like a, 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 it's just, it's just you know, building that community is, is the most important thing. And, uh, and that's the best way for people to know uh, what they're getting with the game and, uh, and to know that it's right for them. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. You can you can test it and see, like, do I like this game? If so, cool, I'll buy it. If not, great. You got to learn that without having to spend a dime. And that's also fantastic, right? That, you know, you want, <laughs> I don't want people buying my game that don't enjoy it. I want everybody to get, you know, a huge amount of value out of it that's there. Uh, and so this is a, it's a great way uh, to, to let people do that. And maybe it's worth us talking a little bit more about community in general and and you know maybe some of our you know we've, we've we've talked a lot about organized play and what does that look like in a world where you have a hybrid deck game um and it's it's just something that just feels so central to anything like this being able to be a long-term like successful game and property um maybe maybe we can kind of riff on that a little bit like what 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 does it take to build a good community for a game like this well that's a that's a, certainly a big big topic but uh but uh um one of the things that i would look for is that uh um, players can engage with the game in in a lot of different ways uh and uh um at different looking for different things so so if Everybody is engaged with the game uh, on a ladder, which is constantly uh, giving you a rating. Then it's uh, then it's sort of strictly one-dimensional, serious play. But if there's environments where people can play casually, play with their friends, pick up games, uh, uh, tournaments that don't necessarily carry a huge weight on their overall standing, uh, uh, things like that, it. it, it it allows for people to play the game for other purposes than just being the best in the world, um, and uh, uh, so so yeah, I look for I look for lots of different ways for people to play the game. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great insight, and, and that it appeals in, in you know to sort of different uh, the, you know, the psychographic profiles is the kind of buzzwordy way to say it, but you know different different player needs, right? That that I you know. Uh, want to be just hanging out with my friends and playing around the kitchen table versus I want to prove that I'm the best in the world versus I want to build the the coolest, you know, Yeti deck and have all the Yetis or I want to be able to, um, you know, like have different modes of play, right? So I think something that Keyforge did a lot of innovation in is like, what does it mean to have a balanced matchup um, between different decks where you could play uh, you know, you would play, I'd play your deck and you'd play my deck at, in a round and, and see who could play pilot the decks better. And it wasn't about the deck, it was about the player. I think there's, um, and, and it's something I'm actually excited about when it comes to building this game via Kickstarter and being a, via our Discord and play testing with people like you. There's been so much action in our Discord of people giving us feedback on the rules and templating and different ideas for cards. And and it's been, and I think the same thing is what I'm looking for when it comes to organized play, right? We're going to have, you know, league-based events and we have a storyline events planned where people who care about our lore and our story can influence the story based on what they do and performance in tournaments. Um, we have like an app we're developing that allows people to, when you play in a tournament, 
it, you scan your deck in, and then you can actually, based on which Forgeborn you're using, which is like your Forgeborn avatar, you can you'll then get an opportunity to vote on what that what your character will do in the next version of the story and uh you know i think some players are really into story some players are really not and that's like not going to be their thing but it's a very cool thing and also lets us react much faster because a digitally printed cards uh we can make them much faster so we can have things be reflected in the card pool um even much more so than i think would have been possible in in any other game category um and we're also experimenting with different different cool ideas for how you balance the if you're playing you know the same decks against each other um you know, uh, Keyforge had this concept of chains where you would, you know, have some restrictions on your card pool or number of cards in hand. Um, Soulforge makes that I think even easier by um, because your 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 health totals are, are so critical to the game. So you could bid health for the different half decks. We can have things like sideboarding where you can because you have half decks, you could have your your main deck and even sideboard in different half decks. So we built in tools for if any particular archetype becomes dominant, there's tools to attack that archetype. And there's so many different interesting little ways we can play with what the organized play looks like. And for those of you that are that are out there and participating in our Discord or participating in our Kickstarter, you can help, you know, give us feedback and help us build that out because it's not going to launch until 2022. So we've got time to really finalize those details. Yeah. Uh, and uh exploring a really varied uh, uh, organized play is it's much easier to do in with physical product than it is digitally uh, um, the games that are purely digital do you have to work very hard to make them not one-dimensional uh, focused on the top players uh, uh, but uh, uh, and but but yeah, when, when you've got a, a physical component to it, uh, you've got uh, the, the locality of it uh, allows you to really uh, explore different ways to play. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's people just take ownership of it and they'll just they're going to play in ways that we don't expect right now. You know, I mean, one of the other things that is um, is certainly possible for people, though, it's not what we're trying, you know, because in, you know, Keyforge, every deck had a unique back, right, because they couldn't be customized at all. Um, Soulforge because Soulforge Fusion because they are customizable the de- the cards have a common back and so I've already had people that are messaging me like oh I want to custom you know actually build this like it's a TCG and build my own deck I'm like well that's not how I envision it being played but you could do whatever you want with it right it's your physical decks and that's certainly a possibility and I'm sur- so I'm sure you know that 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 the fact that people can take ownership of it in such a deep way is uh, is something that you know is exciting and it's just you know they're your cards you can kind of play with them as you as you see fit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we'll see. You know, it's, I, I think it's it's a really illustrative the the story of of Magic uh, Commander format, right? That yeah. that was not a format. Uh, maybe you should tell that story because it's it's a pretty it's pretty interesting. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Magic has had uh, many many formats over its lifetime, but uh, uh, certainly the uh, Commander format, which is uh, a uh, five person free for all, is that? Any number of freefall. I, I, I don't. Think I think it's any Somebody, number. Any number. So so uh, anyway, that that was the one that really uh, took hold, and the players uh, uh, really began to coalesce around. And eventually, it did become a formal part of the game. Uh, and that's that's terrific. Uh, I'm all about players taking ownership of their own play experiences, and uh, and and uh, if enough people. Uh, go in that direction and that can become part of the uh formal experience as well yeah it was really that the fan the fan created format that was it became so popular and so supported just by fans that then you know 
And then Wizards started actually making products specifically for it and started really catering to that part of the community because the fans told you what they want. And uh, and so that's something that I'm looking forward to um, as we get Soulforge into more Soulforge Fusion into more and more people's hands of seeing what they resonate with, what formats are they excited about, how can we continue to improve the game and, and make, as you started talking about, innovations that matter, right? Innovations that meaningfully yeah. improve the experience. And and we're designing... Use the many tools which uh, which you have available with uh, with uh, the the framework which uh, has been de- designed. I mean, uh, there's so much you can do. Yeah, yeah, we've we've already you know as uh, you know people may or may not expect uh, you know we're already well into working on set two designs and developments because you have to that's how you have to do to work and it's there's so much space that's still left to explore here from the game design perspective and then the list of experimentations and things we want to do with organized play and different formats of play and some you know particularly interesting and innovative ones that 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 you've come up with that i'm not going to spoil here that we're we're going to try testing out um is uh there's just so much uh really exciting stuff that you know we're just kind of scratching the surface of i mean and and the what can be done with the digital printing technology and the way that we can get you know a lot of like very rare case things to happen and having uh you know actually maybe this is worth exploring a little bit like let's talk about like set set design and and making new sets in a game like this in a digitally printed game in a hybrid deck game compared to um compared to a traditional tcg because you've you've also uh taught me a lot about how to think about that um and i bet that would be pretty interesting to people what, what do you think about when you're creating new sets in a game like this compared to traditional card games uh well a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of what i'm thinking is the same um uh, although there are some differences but uh, uh, of course there's a lot of uh, extra opportunity but uh, uh, certainly the, the the main thing i do with most massively modular games which is how i uh, sort of categorize all these games is uh look at what strategies uh, i want to play and and try to figure out how to make them come out in the mechanics which we're uh, using and look at which strategies I get frustrated by and try to uh, add some mechanics which uh, which uh, frustrate those strategies back. Um, but then the opportunity which is opened up with uh, um, with procedurally general with, with unique deck games and uh, further with procedurally deck uh, generated cards. Uh, is uh, that that you can um, create uh, these these situations, which uh, these these you're, you're doing more than just creating a set of cards. You're you're creating sort of uh, machines um, because uh, you're uh, in, in in a game like Magic. You just you know you create all these cards and people figure out how to put them together. But here, not only can you create a card, you can you can create. Uh, you can create. You can have that influence the rest of the half deck, uh, and uh, influence all the cards up and down the the level up queue, and and so in a sense, you you're, you're, uh, the dimension of the machine you're working with is uh, has has grown a lot, um, and that allows you to do things like uh, like uh, as you like to say, uh, tell a story. Uh, you can make it so that the level up tells a story. You can also make it so that the way one of the cards touches another uh, in your half deck tells a story. Yeah. So, so let's you know, let's 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 flesh that out with some illustrations, right? So, so there's a you know one of the sort of 
uh, most iconic cards in from original Soulforge, which is also in Soulforge Fusion, is um, Krogius. Krogius starts off as this little, the smallest possible creature. He's just like a little 1-1 one, one cute guy. Then in level 2, it becomes this cocoon defensive like wall creature and then in level three it's the biggest monster we have it's this giant you know comes out of the cocoon is this giant beast that crushes things right and that's like this this arc of a card over over time or a dragon egg that turns into a dragon whelp that turns into a giant fire breathing dragon right you could kind of see the evolution across of a, a card and then when, when you talk about things like like horizontal influence right like there's this i think the the, the example that we've talked about is you know there's maybe this uh you know the 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 cursed witch and that will the cursed witch will turn another creature into now a toad at level one and now that other creature is like a toad yeti and then and and then <laughs> it later and that so it turns into this little the you know, the level one is like really weird and small but then now the level two gets a bigger bonus once he transforms back from a toad into a yeti and uh you know and so that the fact that there was this cursing witch in your deck influenced it laterally or you know a zombie bite turns another creature into a zombie so you have more zombies in your deck um and so there's this cool like influence across cards that tells a story uh that's also really like yeah just the the possibilities there and how you how you do all that stuff and the types of things you can make happen is really really cool yeah and uh and uh um there's different ways uh to well, I guess I better. I, I won't. I won't. I'll refrain from spoiling much uh, along <laughs> those lines because we don't know where we're going to go with that. But uh, there, it's enough to say that there's a lot of things you can do uh, um, with both horizontal and vertical. You've got uh, now two dimensions where you've only had one before. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's something else I uh, so I want to talk about a couple of things. There's one of the comments that you made uh, to me that kind of blew my mind, right? Uh, in in the way we think about different the different factions and how so you know every faction in in or you know category in one of these uh, it was we call it sort of massively. What was it? What was the phrase you used to describe this? The category I, I, of games. I'm calling them massively modular games. Uh, massively modular games. Okay, cool. So in in uh it, that that one of the, the tools for building a massively modular game is you build you break things down into categories, right? It's colors and magic factions and Soulforge fusion, and that each category is defined by certain traits. What is this good at? What is it bad at? What types of things should I expect from there? And that helps me as a player. Uh, so as a designer to understand, you know, even though there's there may be, you know, thousands of pieces and in individual components, I can kind of group them together and understand them. One of the challenges in a traditional trading card game is if you ever make a good card in a certain faction, that faction is now just good at that. Right. So if I'm, you know, and let's we'll use magic as an example, right? If, you know, red is the faction that's good at doing direct damage, but I make a g one good direct damage card in green, which isn't supposed to be able to do that. Now green is suddenly good. Everyone that plays green will all play that good direct damage card. And so the the color pie, the breakdown between different factions is ruined. But right. Uh, yeah, so so but, so so note there that the that uh, the reason why that that's happening is it doesn't matter how rare you make that card, which originally of course was uh, one of the ways we tried to control it, uh, because it's a, a, a constructed game. Uh, often a constructed game, players who want that will get it, which means that it's effectively not rare. It's just what you see all the time if uh, you're playing green and uh, and they have any use for uh, uh, direct damage, which they generally do. Right, and so, but in a in a hybrid deck game like this, like Soulforge Fusion, that's actually not the case, right? Because not only you can get, you might 
go chase after that one super rare card. But what that's going to mean is it's going to be in the context of the other cards that it comes with. And so it will forcibly getting one copy of a card that's good at a thing in a, in a, in a given faction is still very different than if another faction's very good at that same thing there, you're going to get multiple copies of, of cards that could do direct damage in, in the case we're talking about. Um, and so the, the idea that a faction can still have elements of effects and abilities that aren't traditionally its strength uh, is actually really, uh, really interesting and allows you to be a lot more granular in how you define and develop each faction and each identity over time. Yeah, it's a it's it's really liberating as a designer. Uh, uh, I noticed in uh, Keyforge that uh, we launched with seven houses in Keyforge and have introduced others. Uh, you will likely never see uh, more colors and magic, uh, uh, except just sort of as a novelty thing. Um, it really undermines the rest of magic to begin adding a new color. It would just make the overall game worse. Wor- the overall game experience worse except for novelty. Um, but but uh, with Keyforge, uh, um, you could design a house, a color, much more like a character where where they you know they act you know they're they're mostly this way but a little, a little this way right um in in uh in books you can have nuanced characters in lands uh lands described which are not uh just black and white always the same um and and so uh we found that uh that that uh, you could bring that range of personality to uh factions and and uh, yeah, it didn't break anything. It just meant uh, each each of the houses had its own personality, which sometimes overlapped and sometimes didn't. So it's a lot easier to design. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, really flavorful houses. Yeah. So you know, Soulforge Fusion has four factions uh, at launch, but it's definitely something that's opened up my mind to being able to expand that more than we were ever willing to in in original Soulforge because that was more of a traditional. Um, you know, trading card game and and another thing. So I think that's one area of, of real interest. And also we, you know, we haven't really talked about the the Forgeborn um, at all here, um, which is another kind of new thing in Soulforge Fusion. Uh, in the original Soulforge, the Forgeborn were kind of our iconic marquee characters and the, their differentiating factor was that they had four levels, whereas everybody else just had three levels. Um, but that was, while cool, because you could design these level four cards that were really powerful and, and cool looking it, they very rarely came into play um because they were you know most games ended before you would get to shuffle your deck enough times to start playing level four cards um and now we've we've made the forge one far more front and center they're much they actually were partially inspired by the idea of uh, the commander the commander game uh where you uh ver- you know variant of magic where you have a, a kind of avatar type character that's always out and in front of you um, and so, uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that, uh, and how that kind of evolved. Uh, yeah, uh, certainly from, from the very launch of magic, people have talked about, uh, wanting, um, a character that they were playing, uh, a focal point. Um, and it, uh, in early design, it never really, uh, uh, panned out, never felt, I never had anything which really felt good, but in, uh, um, uh, commander, uh, they 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 have a technique which uh, which works well. Uh, um, I actually forget how it works, but you nominate a card, and maybe you can tell me how it works. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, the, it, 
I think it's like your, your whichever card you have dictates which colors you're allowed to play. So the colors that are present in whatever your commander cre- creature is. So typically you pick a multicolor one. Uh, I think dictate what colors are allowed to be in your deck. And then you can summon the commander as though it was in your hand. And every time it dies, it goes back to your command zone. And I think costs you, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I may, I may be wrong, but it costs you more every time you yeah. want to resummon. Clear, I'm not going to correct Yeah, me. yeah, you're not going to. I'm talking to the audience. Maybe forgive both of us if we get the gist of it wrong. But this is the gist no, of it. We, we got the gist of it right at the end. We certainly might have had details wrong. Uh, um, yeah. Anyway, choosing the commander is really fun. Uh, it sets up, I mean, in more than just a mechanical way, it sets up the personality for your deck. But it ties in in this really nice mechanical way as well. Yeah, yeah, and and so and so with the Forgeborn, um, we we ended up taking it in that each deck, that each half deck comes with a Forgeborn that's sort of the the commander of that deck. It's the thing that's tied to those pieces. The Forgeborn starts in play, and it gets new, it gets powers that you can use um, every time you level up or you reshuffle your deck. So you, it has no powers at the first couple turns of the game. Then after you shuffle, he gets access to a level two power. Then another three turns go by, then he gets access to a level three power. Another three turns go by, he gets access to his level four power, which you know should generally be ending the game pretty pretty soon thereafter. Um, and so those are, uh, it's a very cool way. And this is actually, you know, we talked about how we, how we used the procedurally generated process for the, what, you know, the kind of fused creatures with the adjective noun, but we've also procedurally generated these Forgeborn. And this is actually a process we, we went through quite a few different takes on. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how these guys are being generated and, and what, what thoughts went into that. Yeah. Uh, so, so the, as as uh, Justin said, that there's level one, there's nothing, and then there's three power, three levels where you have these different powers, and uh, um, it it is pretty. You you could just take these random powers like uh, and bang them on and uh, and and get something uh, get make so they get generally more more powerful as they go up, um, but uh, that that approach. Uh, feels kind of uh it's it's hard to design to and it's hard for the players to uh get their head around exactly what the forgeborn is doing because it does three random things every time and so uh what we had some luck with was was making it so that each forgeborn has a small set of powers which they can access i think we're going with four um it might, it, it, yes, it, that's right. It's, it's at least four. Well, we could do more, but the more you do, the sort of noisier it gets. It's nice to look at a Forgeborn and know about what it does. And so you're going to get uh, three of those four uh, power tracks, and then you're going to get a second level version of one of them, a third level version of one of them, and a fourth level version of one of them. So, so for example, if you've got uh, uh, you know somebody who's a, a, a necromantic uh, inclination, uh, they they might have a power which raises uh, raises the dead, and uh, um, if they have access to that track, uh, they'll have a level two raise the dead, a level three raise the dead, or a level four, just one of those. And similarly, they might have some sort of drain life ability where they do some damage and gain some life, and so they'll have one of those appear. And so when you when you opposite them, you know uh, about you know the sort of things they do. And it, it becomes easy for the players, easier for the players to look at it and sort of get their heads around what they're, what, what they're being opposed by. Oh, they've got the raised dead at level two. So you, know, you can sort of play around that, that sort of thing. 
Right. And again, it's, 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 it, it, it speaks to the point we talked about earlier. It's like we're trying to balance this, this ability that we have to have so much variety in these procedural generated cards with the, the need and the desire for players to be able to understand what's going on and to be able to see a card and, and kind of at a glance understand the, the gist of what's happening. And, and I felt that pressure even more so with the Forgeborn than with other cards because the Forgeborn are kind of our iconic characters that are part of the story. They're the things that are going to be in play 100% of the time. And so it's very important uh, for us to to make them understandable, right? And the difference of, okay, this is kind of a necromancer lord. So yeah, he's going to raise zombies and drain life and, you know, kill kill things instantly, right? That all kind of fits around this concept of like okay he's a necromancer lord versus you know this guy is a you know hyper aggressive fighter and so he's going to give your creatures a bonus to attack or do you know move things around or you know make them aggressive right that the, that the powers even though there's a wide variety of powers and combinations that they fit within a understandable heuristic that makes the character come to life and uh and be understandable both from a story and gameplay perspective no that's a Something uh, during development we kept keep coming back to, kept coming back to, is uh, this this tension between variety and uh, accessibility. Like it's no fun to sit down to a game where every time you see a card, you've got to read it completely, and you can't sort of look at the title and get an idea of what's going on. But at the other hand, uh, you know the variety you've got available, you really want to make the most use out of it possible, and. Uh, um, and uh, and so you end up with solutions like that, where where uh, you've chosen this chunk of variety uh, that has a lot of different possibilities, but at the same time, people can uh, hopefully uh, get their head around and sort of at a glance uh, know kind of how it works after playing a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's a it's been it's been a real. Uh it's been a real joy and a real interesting set of challenges that we have worked through to kind of get this game to where it is and get it to the point where it's, you know, something that I know you were very skeptical of at the beginning and with good justification that we could take this, this level up mechanic and this purely digital game and turn it into something physical and turn it into something that, that really evolved on, on your concept of, of the unique deck games and, and, and creates new procedurally generated technologies and, and really, you know, Again, like we talked about it earlier, it's like this taking something that is that is familiar that we you know the elements of games that we both love, and and applying like meaningful innovation that really hopefully takes the industry forward and gives people something uh, exciting and fun to play with. And and as the time that people are going to be able to hear this, uh, they can go check it out and back it uh, back it live on Kickstarter. <laughs> So I think that uh, we will, uh, you know, we've covered a lot of the major stuff. There's still tons of details that we could pack into, but uh, I know we're 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 a little short on time. So if anybody that wants to know more, um, you can go to stoneblade.com forward slash soulforge, S-O-L-F-O-R-G-E. Um, and that will uh, not only take you to where the Kickstarter page is, but uh, to join our Discord and ask questions, to so join the tabletop simulator mod, where we built all the tools so you can play the game. Uh, right away uh, and you'll be able to see what we're doing and still influence uh, the game as it evolves and uh, that's one of the things that uh, you know we're continuing to work on as soon as we're, we're done here and getting this thing out the door we're you know we're working on set two and working on cool designs and there's tons of different things we haven't even talked about that we've we've been 
playing around with things like uh solo and modes and ways to play against uh you know kind of uh cooperatively and all kinds of other ways that this can go that we want to see what what fans want and how we play uh how this game evolves how this community evolves what does organized play look like so um i strongly encourage everybody to come join us come check it out come let us know what you think um and and richard uh, i i cannot thank you enough for uh coming on this journey for uh helping to create so many amazing games and and being able to work on uh, yet another amazing game together oh well uh, thank you for getting me involved it's uh it's it's been a lot of fun and uh i'm really looking forward to seeing uh how this exploration of this space goes all right well uh as as my first ever repeat guest i'm uh, i think this was great to be able to deep dive into our our mutual project together and uh i can't wait to see what we get to talk about next time <laughs> thanks always good to talk about games uh especially with you justin <laughs> thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed today's podcast if you want to support the podcast please rate comment and share on your favorite podcast platforms such as itunes stitcher or whatever device you're listening on listener reviews and shares make a huge difference and help us grow this community and will allow me to bring more amazing guests and insights to you I've taken the insights from these interviews along with my 20 years of experience in the game industry and compressed it all into a book with the same title as this podcast, Think Like a Game Designer. In it, I give step-by-step -step instructions on how to apply the lessons from these great designers and bring your own games to life. If you think you might be interested, you can check out the book at thinklikeagamedesigner.com or wherever fine books are sold.